The primary aim, object, and purpose of consciousness is control. Conway Lloyd Morgan, An Introduction to Comparative Psychology The first thing Kathy Hutchinson became aware of upon waking from three weeks in the quiet of a coma was the rhythmic alternation of surge then draw. Whoosh, hiss, whoosh, hiss. As the contours of her room began to resolve before her eyes, she discovered the source of the sounds, a ventilator machine beside her bed. Her eyes followed the curve of a plastic tube, issuing from the noisy box until it disappeared under her chin, entering her body through the opening in her throat, left by a tracheotomy. When she tried to raise her head, she discovered that she could not. No amount of effort allowed her to lift her hand or flex her feet. Her last memories were of feeling sick, of passing out as her 18-year-old son, Brian, helped her up the stairs to her bedroom, of waking briefly on the rough carpet of the hallway, unable to move. She was 43, a healthy non-smoker, a single mother of two, post office employee. She and Brian had taken a break from planting their annual vegetable garden to check the score of a basketball game when she began to hear a loud buzzing in her ears and was overcome by a wave of nausea. On that spring day in 1996, it took doctors nearly 12 hours following Brian's emergency call to discover that Kathy had suffered a catastrophic brainstem stroke. The brainstem is located at the base of the skull, a small region of primitive structures crucial to survival. It governs the critical functions of breathing, swallowing, blood pressure, regulation, and consciousness, and conducts all messages between the brain and the spinal cord. A brainstem stroke is the sort of medical event that can result in death immediately or soon thereafter. But in Kathy, who was young and otherwise good health, the stroke disconnected her brain from the descending motor tracks of her brainstem, the neural pathways carrying instructions to her muscles, leaving her locked in, not only quadriplegic, but also unable to speak. The ascending tracks, which carry sensory information from body to brain, remain intact, allowing her the experience of pain, itch, heat, and cold, but not the possibility of addressing them. She had a sensate, lucid mind, incapable of action. The best-known locked-in person is Jean-Dominique Bobby, the former editor of the French Elle magazine, who, like Kathy, had a brainstem stroke at the age of 43. He wrote a book about the experience, The Diving Bell and the Butterfly, by communicating with the assistant by blinking his left eye. But my communication system disqualifies repartee, he wrote. The keenest rapier grows dull and falls flat when it takes several minutes to thrust it home. By the time you strike, even you no longer understand what had seemed so witty before you started to dictate it letter by letter. Unlike Kathy, Bobby endured his condition for just 18 months, eventually succumbing to pneumonia. When I first met Kathy, she had been unable to move or speak for 14 years. She was a participant in a promising medical study I was researching, involving experimental trials that tested the limits of science's ability to tap into the brain of someone in her condition and read meaningful signals. 
In strict accordance with privacy protocols, the scientists identified her only as S3, but when I investigated their work further, I discovered that Kathy had been featured in a television segment about the early years of the study. I was, I admit, intrigued by the extreme nature of her disability, and I wanted to know more about the research from her point of view. She was a scientific pioneer, it seemed to me. The question was, how did she view herself in the experiment? I scoured the internet until I found contact information for someone I thought might be her son. It turned out to be Brian, who relayed my request for an interview to his mother. Once she agreed, and after I had been vetted by the directors of the research study, I set up our first meeting 